ERU comes from our listeners and from the Maine Community Foundation, working with donors and other partners to improve the quality of life for all Maine people on the web at maincf.org. The time is 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns began in 1993 with support from University of Maine Cooperative Extension. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. We all have stories to tell. Some connect us to where we live and the history of that place. Our stories are often triggered by artifacts, letters, maps, photographs, possessions. Local historical societies have collected these artifacts and made them available so that the stories continue to come alive. And today we're happy to have some folks in the studio who can um, help us understand a a new concept um, that's emerging called the History Trust. And I've subtitled that Making the Past Accessible. Happy to have Bill Horner with us. Bill is with the Mount Desert Island Historical Society. Welcome to you, Bill. Thank you very much, Ron. Glad to be here. Rainy Bench is here from the Seal Cove Auto Museum. Welcome to you, Rainy. Thank you. We've got also Ann Grulick from the Great Cranberry Island Historical Society. Welcome. Glad to be here. And Muriel Davison, the Tremont Historical Society, all based on Mount Desert Island and, and all kind of part of a, a conversation about how to make history accessible um, to uh, local residents, but also researchers on the island. Perhaps each of you could give um, a little background on yourselves and what brought you to either the world of museums or historical societies. Bill, could we start with you? Uh, yeah, I'm an island native, born and raised in Bar Harbor, um, and at this point in time, am a retired general surgeon, uh, that having taken place about 10 years ago, and I really wanted to write uh, in my retirement, and being locally connected, and particularly having some family history uh, connected with the local community, uh, gave me an opportunity to get into that. Mm. Um, And over the course of time, that produced uh, an article for the MDI Historical Society's annual magazine, Chewbacca. And uh, before I knew it, I was knee-deep in the Historical Society, and we'll let it go at that for now. Great. Well, that that happens in retirement, as I well know. (laughs) Rainy Brench, tell us a little bit about your background um, in, in the world of museums. 
Yeah, I uh, have a bachelor's degree in Native American studies and a master's degree in museum studies. I have been passionate about small museums for pretty much my whole life and the opportunities that they have to connect people with local history and interesting stories. Um, I've served as the executive director for the Seal Cove Auto Museum for just over four years. And I'm not necessarily a car person, but I've had a really great time being able to play with history in really fun and interesting ways. And I love being able to share that with people. Mm. And you've got an interesting background. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, for the past five years, I've been the part-time archivist at Great Cranberry Island. Um, and I came to history kind of a roundabout way through 17th century archeology span mm. in Maryland, um, tracing the history of small things that had left been behind. Uh, made history really tangible to me. I was never any good um, during school memorizing the names and dates and famous generals. It left me cold. <laughs> um, but anyway, the artifacts of the Cranberry Island collection are really very personal. They convey the stories of families and friends. Um, they link islanders with the world in remarkable ways. I was totally floored. I had never done anything in the 19th century. Um, uh, and I realized the island wasn't a lonely outpost. People think of that maybe today. You think, oh, it's so difficult to get mm -hmm. back and forth. But it was really a hub in the 19th century. Those were, and the early 20th. Right. Those were the glory days. Right. Well, we'll come back to you a little bit more about the uh, Great Cranberry Island Historical Society. But let's hear from Muriel Davison from the Tremont Historical Society. Muriel? Thank you, Ron. Um, I'm also a native of Mount Desert Island. I was born and raised in Tremont, where I now reside. Um, I'm descended from several of the early settlers of Tremont, Swans, and Gotts Island. And I'm also a geneticist by profession and an amateur genealogist. So um, I've always been fascinated by the local history and the history of my own family. And I've traced my ancestors and actually co-authored one book on history on the history of Bartlett's Island. And I've been associated with the Tremont Historical Society since the mid-1990s. Mm. Well, let's start keep with you. And if you could tell us a little bit more about each of your organizations, that will give listeners a, a sense of um, where you're coming from organizationally. Muriel? Okay, so the Tremont Historical Society, in brief, um, is the purpose, the mission, is to preserve and share the history of Tremont as well as um, early Southwest Harbor, because Southwest Harbor was actually a part of Tremont until 1905. I'm glad you're clearing that up for anybody who <laughs> might be um, mystified by that. Well, for anybody else who's uh, mystified about why you occasionally hear about McKinley, Bass Harbor, uh, there's lots of little villages in Tremont like every other mm. Um, mm. town on the island. And it, when uh, President McKinley was assassinated, Bass Harbor became McKinley. It's mm. now Bass Harbor again. But it's <laughs> floating around still. Um, we maintain a small country store museum in Bass Harbor Village, and it's open from July to October. Um, it was originally a country store run, opened in 1878 by Perry Richardson, so it's got a long history. Um, and we have both physical artifacts that have been donated by the residents of Tremont or their descendants, and a lot of documents and papers uh, related to families and history of Tremont. 
um, the museum is really popular because we allow people to touch things mm, with great. its hands on. And as I said, everything's been donated by the residents or their descendants. So it's really the, Tremont, the, the museum of the uh, residents of Tremont. Um, and we get about three to 400 visitors a year, which mm. for a small museum, I think is pretty good. Mm. Um, and that, I think that story is pretty typical of many of the historical societies throughout um, at least this part of the world. Um, that's how they start. They they'd start with people saying, there's something special about our history. Yes. Let's figure that out and, and let's create a, a little museum. Uh, exactly. Mm. And we also maintain a website so people... Uh, can access where we are and what's going on and programs. We do a program every the fourth Monday of every month from um, May through October. Great. So, um, and and let's go for from there to Anne. Um, get that microphone right up close. Um, Anne, tell us a little bit about the Great Cranberry Historical so- Island Historical Society. Well, we've kind of um, grown into a uh, community center. Uh, the collection and the museum are housed in um, the building that is called Cranberry House. Um, and along with the archives and museum, we have Hitty's Cafe. People might have, um, tourists and people of all stripes come out to go to Hitty's. Um, we have an art and meeting center and two trails now to the shore. Um, right, they lead right to the beach, they're very popular. Um, and we host movies and classes and events all year. But the museum and cafe closed uh, Columbus Day, thankfully. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We even run a golf cart shuttle from the town dock um, to the end of the island all summer. It it keeps a schedule, but you can get off and on wherever you want. And that's been very popular. We had about 3,000 visitors to the museum, um, a little more this year. Last year it was about 3,000. So I guess Phil Whitney hasn't tallied the Uh final count yet. uh, and they're only, it's all run by volunteers, everything we do, except for the two paid part-time people. That's, I'm one of them as the archivist, and then there's a manager. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got about 5,000 items, and like Muriel was saying, everything is donated from the local families, mm-hmm. um, the ha- mostly when houses change hands or somebody has passed away. Um, the next generation uh, will give us things from the attic which are sure. quite fabulous um and we i we share those things in exhibitions and online in our new digital archive um, catalog i feel like my mission is to steward and share our collection and our research projects uh, we've done two cemetery projects as broadly as possible mm. so it's a a tall order but i love it because there's so much variety of work and again that notion that um a museum can or can be more than one thing, and yeah. you're operating as a kind of community center because there was a gap there. There wasn't yeah. a community center. Well, we do have the Ladies' Aid, um, uh-huh. which is very historic. It's been there for hundreds of years, but um, this is just kind of a new outgrowth. Um, and we we work with the Ladies' Aid too, and we got the library. But um, it's kind of remarkable in ten years what the historical society and their friends have done. Great. Rainey, tell us a little bit about the the Seal Cove Auto Museum, um, d- different from the historical societies, but in some ways um, it it's the same story. There were some artifacts, in this case automobiles, <laughs> that people wanted to make sure were preserved. 
Yeah, we were founded by Richard Payne, who was a really avid collector of automobiles, but also art and antiques and lots of different types of things, uh, who had been living and his family lives on the island uh, for generations. And when he passed away, he arranged for his collection to stay and open as a private Mm. museum. So the decision was made to go with the very earliest cars and motorcycles in the collection. So it dates from 1900 to 1928 is the most modern of the cars in the collection, which make it um, very, very rare and unique and interesting. But also it enables us to tell really interesting stories because 1900 to 1930 is some of the most transformative time in American history, also in world history. We can't think of our lives today without the structure that automobiles have created economically, socially, climate Mm. climatologically, all all those things. And uh, that's where it started. Mm -hmm. So we um, really get to play with the history and not just talk about cars and and the mechanics and the uh, manufacturing stories, but social history, um, economic changes, those kinds of things all took place and really transformed during this window. Mm. And I think you have a a hallmark how you do this, and it's to be fun. We do, yes. We are really privileged to be a place where we create fun activities. We encourage intergenerational relationships and uh, sharing of memories different types of um, memories are triggered by the automobiles in the collection and it allows grandparents to tell stories to their kids and grandkids that they might not otherwise have thought about. So um, so it is really a space for people to come and have a really good time. Mm. How about the um, Mount Desert Island Historical Society, Bill? You said you got involved by writing an article and all of a sudden found yourself immersed in the organization. Um, What's its mission and and how does it carry that mission out? Uh, Mount Desert Island or Mount Desert Island (laughs) Historical Society, depending upon your point of view. Uh, Essential mission is to share the multiple histories of all of the island communities, but in no way to sort of assert itself as the predominant historical society on the island. Um, The uh, historical society originates from the 1920s, or a group of ladies from Soamsville, and they chose to call it the Mount Desert Island Historical Society, although I think it's quite clear that there are many historical societies. And so I think one of the aims of, of our organization is to try to bring those various organizations together. Mm. Uh, we have two campuses, if you will, uh, one in Soamsville itself, which was, has the iconic arched bridge, which I guess is the most photographed landmark in Maine. <laughs> Uh, weddings not take necessarily place historical. There. <laughs> not necessarily historical, no, but, but it's but certainly s- iconic. Signature, right, right. Uh, and it's adjacent to a small exhibit in the historic Selectman's Building, as well as to the uh, main museum uh, of the historical society, where we have exhibits uh, that rotate every two years based on a theme which we try to develop throughout the organization. Uh, The other location is on Route 198, the so-called Yellow Schoolhouse, or Sound Schoolhouse, as it was called historically. And uh, it's uh, been preserved through the efforts of previous uh, generations of trustees, if you will. Um, 
So we have a number of um, goals, I believe, in the organization. One is scholarship. Uh, we encourage uh, publication with this uh, yearly publication, Chibaco. Um, we also encourage the participation of um, students and also interns from University of Maine uh, and occasionally College of the Atlantic. Um, we um, have a number of programs um, to try to extend our sort of basic principles of keep, discover, celebrate, and engage. Mm -hmm. And engage is the one that we're mostly focusing on now. Um, trying to bring in the public to uh, the very um, act of writing history. Uh, we're sort of batting around a term right now, citizen historian, mm. sort of borrowed from the citizen scientist aspect, and uh, in so doing have a project called uh, History Harvest, uh, which uh, affords people the opportunity to bring in objects. Uh, we have a team assembled, um, to both take the oral history of that subject, to digitize it, and to put it online. And we're hoping that that model, perhaps, can be translated into the more far-reaching thing that we're going to talk about here in a minute, and that's the History Trust. Great. Well, perhaps each of you could also then share a, a little story or a vignette about something that's happened in the last year that really s seems to say, this is our mission. This is how it comes alive. Rainey, you want to start? What, what, can you think of, a, of an event or a story or a, a kid or a grandparent, something that really brings the mission for Seal Cove Auto Museum alive? Sure. Um, we get about 12,000 visitors a season, and so uh, we really enjoy being able to uh, share with them the collection through demonstrations. So being able to give people rides in some of the cars is one of the most transformative and fun things that we're able to do. And we had a visitor that was um, at the museum. They were staying in Belfast, but had come up and said they had visited last year as well, and it was all their teenage son could talk about for his entire year <laughs> in Delaware was how much fun he had had visiting the museum in 2017 and how desperately he wanted to come back. And the reason he got hooked was he got a ride in one of the cars and just felt like it was something so memorable and so important to him. So they came back this season, and we didn't happen to have a car outside, and he was disappointed. So we pulled out one of the electric vehicles from 1922 and gave him and his family a ride in that car. And uh, he just, just loved it. His face lit up. And people are so surprised that there were electric vehicles um, early on in the 1900s. It's one of the more interesting um, aspects of the history of the collection. And so being able to use the electric and demonstrate it makes connections to some of the conversations that we're talking about today with auto traffic and sustainability and the climate and why it didn't work in the past. And being able to connect that with this kid through the mm. experience of a ride allowed us to share stories with him that we wouldn't have just through a, a regular exhibit experience. Mm, great. How about you, Anne? Um, a story from, from uh, your um, work at the Great Cranberry Island Historical Society? Well, I have the one that really made me um, feel great about being there. Um, and it's actually two years ago, not last year. But um, one morning, the Schmidt family brought in an old stained sea bag 
um, with turns out ten deteriorating nautical charts inside, all rolled up inside. Uh-huh. Uh, it was difficult even to once you could get them out of the bag to lay them flat enough to look at. Um, it was quite exciting to me. Um, the charts were a century and a half old, and they'd been stored in old bo- an old boathouse and different family homes for decades. The Schmidt family is descendant of the original chart owners, Mel Taya and Carrie Richardson, who they were sea captains. He, he had um, the big um, three-mast schooner, the Carrie Richardson. So um, one thing led to another, and we wound up with funds to conserve and digitize the largest chart, which was four by six feet. Mm-hmm. So that was, um, I never thought we could get that done, never. <laughs> Um, we did. That's how people reacted. Um, we developed an exhibit interpreting the numerous annotations on the chart. They had tracked their course um, from Maine down to Boston, over and across um, through the Straits of Gibraltar, um, up into Spain. Um, and this was 1874. Actually, the portion on the chart is the, re- is the return voyages home. There are two of them, 1874, 1875. And um, then lo and behold, um, turns out that another member of the Schmidt family had a, uh, a journal kept by the captain, which said who it wasn't, it's kind of random, but we could figure out who was on the ship, what they were being paid, um, what they had to pay for, which was deducted right out of their um, pay so it's like the old story you're you may not end up with much pay when you're when you get off (laughs) but um anyway it was fascinating um and suddenly i could see that the islanders trusted us with these types of possessions and and to interpret their history and their artifacts Mm. so it was Mm. quite moving Mm. and we have a big exhibit we got funds for the exhibit too which was done nicely um copying something that had been done um, on um, fabric scrolls that MDI Historical Society had done. Um, we used that. Uh, we, we had never been able to do anything that um, professional and expensive without mm. the grants. Mm. So that was a big deal That's to great. me. Mm. It's still up if you want to come out. And the exhibit's <laughs> Good. up. Good. Muriel, how about um, a story from the Tremont Historical Society? Um, okay, I would actually like to share a couple, and one will be short. We, uh, there was a Dr. Willis Watson who moved to Bernard, the village of Bernard, in uh, 1898. Um, he gave up being a doctor and started a general store, but um, he married a local woman, Viola Watson, and we have a huge Watson collection that's been donated by the granddaughter-in-law, and among it is 250 glassback three-by-four negatives Mm. that she took pictures of the area all around um, Tremont, Mm. especially the harbor. And um, we've had them um, digitized by Penobscot Marine Museum. Mm -hmm. And we run a show, slideshow of about 100 in the um, entryway into the museum. And people who grew up or whose ancestors lived in Tremont will stand there fascinated by those pictures. Um, one of the things that documented for us was the final piece. There used to be a boardwalk, sidewalk, all the way around Bass Harbor. We had a picture of the 
Bass Harbor side and the Bernard side, um, we found among those a picture of the head of the harbor. Connecting piece. Connecting them. Huh. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, we have each year more and more descendants come and use our resources in the museum because they're not digitized yet. Mm-hmm. Um, to look up family history. And Dan Reed and his wife came in, they're from the Midwest, um, came in this summer. And um, it was a morning that we were cataloging, the museum wasn't open. So I set them up down in the entryway with all the Reed genealogies we had. And he said, you know, we've got a lot of this. And he was telling me all he had. And I said, how can we help? He said, well, there's one ancestor we can't find. We don't know where she came from. We don't know her maiden name. And they spent the whole morning going through those and making notes. And they, when, they, when I went down at the end of the morning, I said, well, how did you do? And he said, we found her. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. And ha- having a little bit of, of background, I know how wonderful that is when it happens. Um, Bill, a little story perhaps or vignette from the Mount Desert Island Historical Society. Well, I think uh, I had mentioned uh, engagement as mm-hmm. one of the uh, primary uh, motivations or mission elements going forward for our organization. And I think uh, within the past year, one of the most powerful realizations uh, came as a result of a study that was done uh, of 15 organizations. We'll probably get to this in a moment. Yep. But part of that... Um, study uh, was a sample digital platform uh, based on uh, items that the various organizations had loaned in order to be digitized, in order to be assembled with metadata. Sorry for that bad word, but uh, (laughs) um, it's a necessary one. uh, As a demonstration project of what a digital archive might look like, and I was reminded of how how I felt about that in just this conversation this morning because there are so many ways that the collections of various organizations connect together Mm. and uh, all of them comprise stories that you think initially may be confined to Great Cranberry Island but then when you realize that the Maine Seacoast Mission has that same individual in their collection somewhere or a photograph that keys into that place then you begin to get um, just a little hint of how deep and interesting and powerful the stories can become. Mm. So that uh, kind of um, answers begins to answer my next question. As um, relatively small organizations, what are some of the challenges you face um, given the fact that you've got these materials, you want them to be accessible, and um, you don't have very big budgets. What are some of the challenges? Or is that, the, that, is that it? <laughs> Who wants to try to answer that? I'll go. M- Muriel. <laughs> um, so we have, I would, we have a lot of challenges, as we all do. Mm. But I would say we have three major challenges. The first one is that our collection, which is both artifacts and documents, has never been completely cataloged and never been digitized. Mm. Um, we bought a past-perfect database, museum database, three years ago. And we're in the process of um, of doing just that, cataloging and digitizing. It's slow. Um, so our second challenge is that we have um, we're an all volunteer organization. We have uh, limited financial. We have financial limitations. 
So um, our primarily our board of directors, which is 13 people, um, does all the docent, uh, the docents at the museum in the summer, and four of us are doing all the cataloging. Actually, we have one new volunteer this winter, so mm. we're pleased. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's going to be a long, slow process, and we'll come to how what we're talking about, the History Trust, may mm. help us with that. Okay. And then the third challenge is um, getting young people interested mm. um, in participating in society activities and the history of learning about the history. They're interested when they come into the museum, but young people are busy. You mm-hmm. know. Often they're a two-job family. They have kids. They have community responsibilities, and that's probably... Maybe our biggest challenge is mm-hmm. getting young people The next people generation, interested. really. Really. Yeah. And we do have a program with the Tremont School where um, the classes studying hist- local history um, will come into the museum, and we do a field trip for them. And um, we're doing another one um, this month on the 23rd, but the one we did last year, it was third and fourth grade, and we had trouble getting the kids... The teacher had trouble getting the kids out of <laughs> out. the museum because we did a little... Um, um, they got they could scavenger hunt, uh-huh. and they got little sheets of paper, and they could write down answers to questions of things they found, like what would you play with in the winter, um, and they just didn't want to go when the hour was up. They were serving so much fun. Mm-hmm. What would some of you add to that? We don't have to go around, but are there other problems that you're facing as organizations um, with uh, kind of fulfilling your mission? Anything else you'd want to add? And get right close to that mic. I would say our biggest um, problem is improving climate control for oh, the archives okay. and the museum. We're in a, um, a basement. On an island. On an island. <laughs> um, and we do, you know, run, do the best we can with dehumidifiers and um, uh, heat and things. Um, and then the next thing would be modernizing our scanning and photography equipment. And right now it's a handheld digital mm. camera. Mm. Um, and we do have office scanners, but I guess that would be our next big goal. And um, I can go more into that later when we're talking about the history, IT and history trust assessment. Mm-hmm. Great, great. Well, I'm just going to remind listeners that are tuned to Talk of the Towns here on WERU this morning, and we're talking about the history trust, making the past accessible. We have wonderful guests in the studio who are helping us with that. You've just heard from Ann Grulick from the Great Cranberry Island Historical Society. She's joined by Muriel Davison of the Tremont Historical Society, Rainy Bench from the Seal Cove Auto Museum, and Bill Horner from the Mount Desert Island Historical Society. In a few minutes, we'll open up our phone lines, but I want Bill to, to kind of introduce this notion of a history trust. How did that come about, Bill, and, 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 and give us some sense of that um, so we can talk about it. Well, this has been a project of the past decade. Mm. Uh, I mentioned that when I retired, uh, I really wanted to get into writing. Um, and the outcome of that was an article that was published in Chibaco, but the process of getting there was a real learning experience. Mm. Uh, because I discovered uh, the wealth of local and regional information, historical resources, um, that included libraries, museums, historical societies, the College of the Atlantic, Acadia National Park, and individual collections as well. There are a large number of uh, people in the area who have family artifacts um, squirreled away, and uh, there were, 
anyway, so I don't want to open up any of those cans because they're very big, and that's exactly what I discovered. Uh-huh. Uh, in completing the manuscript for my article, it was a little bit annoying to have people come up and said, well, yeah, but did you know what they have <laughs> thus and such? And so you have to go back and rewrite that whole section. And so the, it occurred to me that maybe we could get a group of people together and just informally talk about two basic questions. Uh, who has what? And are we willing to share? <laughs> and so this conversation, uh, which involved initially 20 organizations, um, took place on an informal basis. Uh, we called ourselves the Friends of Island History. We did have one significant accomplishment, which was to digitize and make available online the newspapers mm. of the island, which date from 1881. Uh, but beyond that, we really didn't get a whole lot of traction. But through it, we discovered a lot about ourselves. And I think it came down to some very fundamental uh, issues. Uh, and I think the most important one is to ask the question, of uh, are we owners of history or are we stewards of it? And if we lock into that second notion, stewards, we have wonderful models for stewardship. And so this is where the History Trust comes in because um, land conservation on Mount Desert and surrounding areas is something we're all familiar with, something we all treasure. And so we began to ask ourselves, what is less precious about our historical resources mm than the land resources that people have worked many years to preserve, Acadia National Park being mm. an obvious example, but organizations like the Maine Code Heritage Trust, uh, which are responsible for preservation on so many of these jewels of islands that we have off our coast here. And so the trust idea began to mm. hatch and. Um, we went back to some of the original statements that were made at the time um, in 1916 that they were celebrating the founding of uh, Sudamon National Monument, which became Acadia National Park. And so we had this idea that perhaps we could work with uh, a notion called a history trust. And then about two years ago, we were fortunate enough to obtain some very generous funding from the Charles Butt Foundation and through that to um, actually employ a consultant uh, to come in and do a very comprehensive uh, assessment of 15 participating organizations' collections. Mm. And it was through that fundamental document that was finalized uh, at the end of last year that they provided the springboard to uh, a number of organizations coming together with the idea of could we form a collaborative, uh, some form of, uh, of uh, cooperative organization that would allow us to carry this whole idea further forward? Mm. So the notion is that um, once you know um, where information is in these 15 or more organizations, and once they have the, the rudiments of being able to catalog, as Muriel says, we haven't cataloged everything, but we've got to start at it. Um, and once we have the opportunity to um, digitize, which means putting it in a form that people can access from their computers, um, then you begin to, to grow what people have access to. 
Is that the, that's the idea, Rainey? Well, and the digital piece is so vitally important because, as Muriel mentioned, a lot of these organizations are all volunteer or volunteer heavy, or even in the case of Seal Cove, where we um, are sufficiently staffed, we don't really have enough time to do all the research that we might want to do for exhibitions or for publications. And so having that time-saving measure of the digitized access was vitally important for us with our Auto Wars exhibit we had um, in 2016 and 2017, where we examined the debate about whether or not to allow cars on MDI that took place between 1900 and 1915. And then we compared that 100 years later to the results of that decision, which we all sort of struggle with in July and August on the island and the digitization of the newspapers was vital to that story because we were able to go through and do a search on all the Bar Harbor record uh, newspapers from 1900 to 1915 for the word auto and we were able to pull first person voice and story out of the newspapers to tell and and to really bring people into the debate that was taking place through first-person voice and first-person accounts. And we were really proud. We won two National Scholarship Awards, uh, Leadership and History Awards for that exhibit because we pulled the story together that was a, an island-wide story, but certainly other communities could see the relevance as they look at the um, impact of automobile traffic in their own places. So that that digitization piece, I think, is really an opportunity, as Bill mentioned, to pull together all the disparate resources and even things that might be an outlier, like Seal Cove Auto Museum. We're not a historical society, but we still have local stories that we can tell and that we want to talk about. And so our ability to um, reach out to these other organizations has been really important. Mm. So briefly, what, what shape would this island, uh, this history trust take? How, how might you structure it? You're talking about that now. Is that right? As an organization? Yes, we have a meeting coming up um, fairly shortly, I believe. Next week, 25th. I think. Next yeah. week. <laughs> Two weeks. Uh, yeah, we're, we're working out uh, some of the core issues of uh, a fledgling organization. Uh, we are purposely not a 501c3 or a nonprofit uh, for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that everybody who serves uh, on this uh, collaborative, if you will, uh, is a, represents a 501c3. Uh, and so we're uh, beginning to work out some of the specifics of governance. Um, we think that a leadership council uh, model uh, is a good one based on several group meetings. We've progressed to the point where, where each of the 11 participating organizations uh, has chosen uh, two uh, uh, representatives to the council, uh, one of which will have a vote. Um, and so it's those kinds of necessary details. Right, sure. And strategic planning, obviously, is just around the corner. Uh, making decisions about a platform for carrying out digitization because I think what we found is we are a very heterogeneous group. Mm -hmm. uh, we have large organizations, we have small organizations, we have year-round ones, we have uh, seasonal ones, 
Uh, but in some of these organizations, there are some really talented people, mm. like Ann Grulick across the <laughs> table from me, who knows all about Omeka and uh, software platforms. And so, you know, we're at varying levels of moving ahead, and we want to be able to accommodate that kind of flexibility but funnel it into a common agenda, if you will, yeah. for this collaborative so we can pull it together. And I think once we have a true sense of what the individual organization's needs are and what the priorities are, then we can go to the core issue, obviously, which is money uh -huh. and fundraising. Yeah. So I think we have a pretty good sense of the road ahead, and it's just a question of... Uh, people's sitting down and, and working out these details. Mm. But, you know, having been at this for 10 years, I'm absolutely thrilled that we've arrived. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, in a minute, I'll ask the others to talk a little bit about why they are interested or excited about this concept. But I want to list our phone numbers um, now to let listeners participate in this conversation about a history trust and uh, how local historical societies might participate in such a trust, like a land trust. Um, give us a call if you have your questions or comments or your own experience. Um, one 625 that's one 625 9378 Give us a call and participate in our conversation. Um, Muriel, what, what intrigues you about this notion of a history trust? Why in, are you and, and others in the Tremont Historical Society interested in it? Well, um, we see it, um, first of all, as an opportunity to um, share human and physical resources. Mm -hmm. um, we are one of the smaller um, historical societies in the organization and um, it will expand the, our ability to help preserve history and and digitize mm -hmm. that uh, is uh, it will speed our cataloging and digitizing effort and uh, for a lot of people the only way they can get to our collection will is through having it available online mm -hmm. and we do have um, an online connection now which only happened a couple of years ago <laughs> but um, so now we see that as a major thing. Um, the other thing is, uh, obviously, it's a way to help preserve Tremont history along with the rest of the island history and how it fits together, as Bill was saying. There's um, lots of connections among the different um, towns on the island and on the outer islands. And finally, um, uh, in the long term, making our collection along with the other collections um, available widely available through um, either a common database or a network of databases with a common front-end website so people can access us mm. easily. Mm. And what would you say in, in response to that question? What would intrigue members of the Great Cranberry Island Historical Society about this concept? Well, I think um, I agree mostly with what Muriel said. It's the same um, impetus. But I think it's kind of important to brag about what this heterogeneous group has already done. Mm -hmm. um, we are not, you know, formally, we haven't, we're signed up as a memorandum of understanding. Um, but the, a big thing for, for me and for my board was the History IT Archives Assessment that they did, what, two or three years ago? Two years ago? Two. Mm -hmm. Two years ago. Actually, they came out to everybody's institution and they sat there. For me, it was a full half day because they had to catch the ferry. But I think other places, they might have stayed longer. But um, 
that assessment, they wrote it up, they shared it with everybody. This was part of their big packet as the contractor. Um, uh, it clearly laid out our deficiencies and strengths. I'll speak for my, for Great Cranberry. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't know how the board would react, but they reacted very positively. And just in the, since then, it provided the impetus for us to redesign our website. We switched to the um, digital archive online catalog system, and we began implementing and planning uh, better climate control for the archives. Those, those were like the big areas we mm. got um, hit So on. you actually got a little bit of a free co consultation oh, yeah. from these professionals that said, yes. here's what you have and here's what you might work on. And a thorough report, and they have um, goals that we probably could never attain to be, um, or speak for myself as a museum, you know, A-plus rating, but um, it, it spurred us on to it. I, I think without the assessment, I'd still be just the lone voice saying, hey, we need a dehumidifier, <laughs> you know. But, um, Sounds familiar. It, it's gr and now, actually, um, I, I should get to the next thing. Um, the way I'm interacting with um, this still melange of organizations is I'm on the tech committee. I'm no expert. But um, we've been investigating the merits of using, using different programs for managing, managing your collections. And Muriel says she's starting to use the past perfect. Um, and I, got, um, I was so frustrated with what we were doing for our collections online. We had a little um, finding aid, they called it, with a PDF of thumbnail images, and it was static, you know. And then um, I became aware of the Southwest Harbor Public Library um, photo collection, um, digital, digital archive, which was made by um, George Sewells, who's a local fellow. Um, and uh, Anyway, he developed that for them, and I said, hey, is that something we could use? And so we sat and talked about it, and um, I did mention it um, through the tech committee to this melange of organizations of the History Trust. And people were very receptive. We have, um, I think there are now five local organizations are using it, and three more are evaluating it, so that they're not all History Trust members. Right. But um, there's some library, local libraries, um, two, three History, um, History Trust folks, I think, and then others. Um, so I think that this was... Um, a really important thing that we've we've already accomplished these things it's also something we could use when we're looking for money you know sure. look what we've done right. already just with goodwill right. right rainy how about you i'll list our phone numbers one more time before i ask you to respond one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight or locally four six nine zero five hundred our conversation about a history trust what what benefit do you and your board see uh, in this notion the Seal Cove Auto Museum, uh, our physical collection is pretty much uh, very thoroughly cataloged, actually. Uh, we do have historic clothing and some um, different types of objects that represent the era, so we don't have the exact same challenges. We have a small archive that has not been fully cataloged or scanned, uh, so I think we saw some opportunity for the museum to shift its focus a little bit away from the physical uh, 
three-dimensional object collection to focus more on the importance of our archive and our library. It always just, it's, it's pretty reasonably well housed, but it's running out of space. It hasn't been cataloged. It needs to be digitized. And the history IT assessment that came through allowed our board to see that we had documents that were important and worthwhile that had uh, deeper connections to the island community through our founder Richard Payne and also some of the um, items in the collection itself and uh, so it's it's shifted our focus actually uh, through our collections planning and through our budget to be able to devote more resources to that but I think on a um, on another level the reason that all of us do what we do is to make history accessible to the public. You know, caring for objects for the sake of the object is not why we're passionate about this. We're passionate because we believe that these stories have meaning and interest to other people and to future generations. And so that accessibility piece is so vital to this uh, cooperative agreement that we're, or this cooperative relationship we're developing. Mm. So I'm gonna, because we're gonna run out of time, I wanna jump to really that question. Um, let's assume um, 10 years from now, maybe five years from now, um, the History Trust has taken the shape that you intend it to, to, to happen. Imagine you're a historian or you're a family member and you are able to encounter this History Trust that is a group of organizations that have come together. What would it do for a historian or a, a family member? Um, I think you have had a hint of that in the presentations by History IT, which is a consulting organization. But describe what you imagine um, future people will be able to do when the History Trust is up and kind of fully functioning. Anybody want to start with that? Bill, you, how, how could you imagine this being used in the future? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I could see the Mount Desert Island area becoming a destination for people who really want to do serious research. Mm. Uh, I can see it as a model uh, for school systems. How do you incorporate this incredibly rich local history into the curriculum of the regional school systems? Mm. And in the process, you engage the kids. Uh, they're the future of history. Mm. Um, I see um, a much broader possibility for fundraising. Uh, people are learning how to collaborate. I've talked to Muriel <laughs> and Anne more in the last nine months and a multitude of other people than I ever have. Organizations are sitting down and talking to one another. Mm. We're finding what we have in common. Mm. What, what's our common interest? What's our common passion mm. about history? Mm -hmm. And now we have that entity and so we're learning how to collaborate, mm. which is not an easy task. It's not something that comes n natural to human beings or to even towns. And so... Or if it, uh, if, if, if it was, it's gotten kind of beat out of us. And, and so, you know, here we... I, so I'm just really excited about the fact... I can that tell. We're, <laughs> we're having these conversations and we're making headway. Yeah. And we're accomplishing stuff, as Ann said. Yeah. There are these... Um, unintended consequences that actually turn out to be quite positive right. rather right. than negative. Right. You know, it's a whole new spin on unintended consequences. So I think the potential here is, is just 
phenomenal. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna break in, Muriel. Um, tell us about how you envision this being used by um, someone. Perhaps you've in, in, intrigued some young person to to study a particular family. How could the History Trust help them with their study of their own own family in this way? How would you How would you send them down the path? Well, one of the things we've talked about a lot throughout this whole process is having a common entry point into mm -hmm. our collections. Mm -hmm. So instead of a student having to go from one historical society to another on MDI, because you never know... Who's got the material. Who's got the material you want, or uh, different historical societies may have different um, aspects of the same family or person. Um, and so I, I, th I can see someone just coming to a common website, and whether it's a common database behind it or links to the others, enough information on that website so that they know where to go to find the information they mm -hmm. need. Mm -hmm. And that would be such a huge jump forward. As, as Bill said, there's stuff hidden all over that island, Mount Desert Island. We're up against this at the Auto Museum right now because we are working on the exhibit will open in 2020, which celebrates the centennial of the right for women to vote. And the automobile played an instrumental role in getting women's suffrage messages out uh, into rural communities. And I very much am anxious to start digging into the local historical societies to see what kinds of rallies and speeches and events were taking place locally about the right for women to vote. And um, so even though we're not digitized yet for that research, the relationships that we're building together will allow me to start digging into those collections in a way that I wouldn't have had access to before. Mm. And when uh, get uh, Anne's voice in here, Anne, how do you imagine this this history trust kind of coming alive and, and being used by people on either Great Cranberry Island or elsewhere? I think we would be accessible to the whole world if we can get this um, up and running um, online. But we shouldn't forget that we should also make our institutions fun places to visit. So people, mm. we maybe we could have tours of right. joint tours. You know, invite groups in. Um, put them on a bus or whatever you have to do, and or a ferry, and you know, come on out. Um, a big thing is, you know, I'm I'm really passionate about the digital archive, but there's nothing that replaces the artifact, the real right. thing right. in yes. situ. Yeah. So, Bill, Bill, I know you want to list the others. We've got a number of folks around this table, but who else is involved in the in the history trust conversation? Right now, we have the Abbey Museum. Bar, uh, hold on just a second. Sorry. <laughs> uh, we have College of the Atlantic, the Bar Harbor Village Improvement Association, Great Cranberry, as you know, Great Harbor Museum in Northeast, Islesford Historical Society, Jessup Memorial Library, Maine Seacoast Mission, Mount Desert Island, Mount Desert Island Historical Society, excuse me, uh, Seal Cove Auto Museum, Southwest Harbor Historical Society, uh, and the Tremont Historical Society. And I think you skipped over Northeast Harbor Library. Did you not? No, they're not there. Oh, that's a different list. That's okay. a, I'm sorry. Yeah, that that's is a, a different, different list. list. So um, anyway. So these were the original 15 that participated in this study. Uh, and the study you know, has the benefit that Ann mentioned. Each of these organizations was provided with a comprehensive evaluation and uh, you know a, lit, a prioritization of priority should they 
take them on. So if, if people wanted to find out yeah. more, how would they contact? Would they contact individual organizations, or is there a common pl point of entry for um, the History Trust? Is there a website or anything like that? Uh, we don't as yet have a website. That's uh, on the horizon. So, but I would think that uh, any of us you've heard today or anybody representing any of those institutions that I mentioned, if you see them on the street, uh, say, yeah, what's going on with the History Trust? That's great. to talk to you about it. Last last word of, of a hope that you have. Any any hope, Rainy? Very briefly. Well, I think that um, I just am really hopeful that everybody continues to learn how to work together as a collective and yeah. come out of our silos. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, Muriel, any hopes that you have? I would second just what what Rainy just said that we we are and Bill, you alluded to it earlier that it took a while for everybody to sit down and learn about each mm -hmm. other and. And I'm, I, I think that's one of the most positive things out of this, that we're all working together. Anything to add, Ann? Here, here, and that we keep the History Trust fun. So far <laughs> it has been. Fun. Great, great. Well, we've come to the end of the hour. Be sure to join us from 10 to 11 on the second Friday morning of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you have comments or suggestions for topics, please email us at news at weru.org. And tune into our companion program, Coastal Conversations, with Natalie Springle of University of Maine Sea Grant, 10 to 11 on the fourth Friday of each month. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balnain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests um, here in the studio. We had with us Bill Horner from the Mount Desert Island Historical Society, Rainy Branch from the Seal Cove Auto Museum, Real Davison of the Tremont Historical Society, and Ann Grulick of the Great Cranberry Island Historical Society. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Thank you.